Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. About a week ago, we had uh, Greg Simons, who's a Kiwi in Latvia, join us to talk about the, as it was then, the upcoming NATO summit held in Vilnius in Lithuania. And uh, Greg is back with us again uh, today. And just to uh, remind you that Greg is uh, an associate professor uh, at Tariba University in Latvia. Greg, good to talk with you again. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. All right. How did that meeting go, do you think? How did that summit go? Kind of as expected, um, I would say. Uh, not according to the wishes of many, though, who are uh, more pro-Ukrainian, pro-NATO. But I think given the alternative and what could happen if it did go the way that it, they wanted, uh, I mean, it would be a disaster because it would strengthen the conflict which is ongoing. It would break and violate all kinds of NATO rules about membership uh, and it would make the world a much less safe place. Uh, it'll bring us back to, I think, something even more unstable than 1962 with the Cuba crisis. Gosh, okay. Well, that went to the edge, if we were to, to believe history. Okay, yep. so it seemed to um, us watching from here that Mr Zelensky was counting on Ukraine being fast-tracked into NATO, and obviously he had reasons for wanting that. But that's not what happened, and and the NATO countries essentially said, not right now, the war has to be over, which is a bit of a, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's mm -hmm. a bit of a, like a, well, you know, um, how long's a piece of string? And then it's a one-step, not, not two-step or, or multiple-step process of getting in. So basically, they... They kind of pushed him away, didn't they? Definitely. Well, I mean, that that uh, picture which shows him standing on the podium with everyone with their backs to him ha has been the source of uh, numerous memes which is uh, generated from that. But, I mean, it, it indicates the mood. And I think it also demonstrates what role Zelensky and Ukraine really play in this conflict. He thought he was a, a subject of this, and what this NATO summit shows, he's an object. They, he does what he's told, and he should definitely not ask for more. Yeah, well, he's been indulged and fettered, I guess is, is the word. Mm -hmm. um, he's met every world leader. Um, I think he's even been and, and met the Pope. And, and, you know, he's been right up there, top echelon of of global leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, always in that outfit that he wears. And, yes, that was a sad <laughs> photo, that one that you're referring to. And, and it has been made into many memes, some very clever and very cutting. But it seems, I mean, you kind of feel sorry for him, even though mm – -hmm. He can't be a very nice character if he's at the centre of this. But I think, you know, he, he's been told, hasn't he, that we're behind mm -hmm. you, we'll support you no matter what. 
Uh, we'll provide you with the weapons. There's been billions coming in, a lot of it unaccounted for. Who knows oh, where yeah. that goes? And then just as easily, they turn on them and basically say, well, okay, all, all the Ukrainians have died. Some are estimating 350 to half a million have died in the conflict. This is on the on the battle front. Um, yeah, well, that's meaningless, and yep. and who cares? Uh, moving on, it, it's it's very cynical, mm -hmm. isn't it? Well, definitely. I mean, U.S. geopolitics has always been deeply cynical. I mean, I mean, the the mistake that many people make is they do not listen to what the Americans say about themselves. For example, if we look at Kissinger, he, he once said that the United States has no permanent allies and no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. And so if you look at it from this point of view, Ukraine is not a, an ally, it's not an enemy, it's a tool for the US permanent interest, which is to maintain its global hegemony, which Russia is an impediment toward. But um, they're prepared to just throw human lives away. That's kind of evil. That's that's getting into yep. evil territory. Oh, it is. Without a thought. Yep. No, I mean, I mean, this comes back to politics in general. I mean, if we remember back to the First World War uh, with, um, oh, what was his name? The British Prime Minister at the time, uh, Lloyd George. Yeah. And, I mean, he was... Uh, at a private lunch with one of the editors of one of the newspapers. And Lloyd George said to him, he said, well, if the British public knew about the losses of the British army, the war would be over tomorrow. And, well, the war was not over tomorrow. It, it kept going for uh, some more years and uh, millions of lives bore. And, I mean, this is what it boils down to. Uh, it boils down to these interests of old men at the cost of the lives of young men. How do you explain or how do we explain, you know, the solid support that the US gets here from the likes of Germany, maybe not so much France, but France and some of the uh, other um, NATO and European nations? I mean, Turkey has, I think, agreed that Sweden can come in now. Uh, they get their F-16s. Erdogan's no fool, obviously. But mm -hmm. they seem to be, in the case of Germany especially, if Seymour Hirsch is to be believed, you know, the, their number one ally blew up their, yep. the, the enabling of their, of their industrial base. And yet yes. they, they kind of go along with it. How do we explain that? This is explained once more by geopolitics, and the Americans have once more. I mean, they said openly what they do uh, to maintain their empire. And, I mean, Brzezinski, uh, who, who's another one of these geopolitical greats, if you want to go, uh, said there are three geostrategic imperatives of the United States to maintain uh, its hegemony which is based on the experience of hegemons from the past. And these, and these were to have a vassal state which is dependent on the United States and pliant, so does what it's told, and that a 
client state should be protected and it should be pliant. And the third one is to prevent any individual countries or blocks of countries that can contest US global hegemony. So if we look at that, a vassal state is Germany. They are dependent on the US for gas now, or energy. Yeah, and uh, four or five times the cost. Yeah. Yep. And with a much inferior product than what the Russians were supplying. Uh, and this is what they've been talking about for ages. I mean, Condoleezza Rice was even saying, you can find the video clip on, on YouTube, that it's the intention of the US to make uh, Germany uh, less dependent on Russian gas and more dependent on US supplies. And, I mean, they did it. And one can see Ukraine as this client state. If the US said the war's stopping tomorrow, it'll stop tomorrow. And Ukraine has no say in it uh, as such. And if we look at it, the EU used to be, at one stage, uh, a stronger economy by about 10% than the US. Now it's 50% less yeah. <laughs> uh, during this war. Uh, not to mention the fact that it sees Russia as a threat, uh, but more importantly, it sees China as a bigger threat, but it's picking this rather self-destructive war with Russia, indirectly using Ukraine, like it used Iraq in the 1980s against Iran. Yeah, so, so there's a pattern here, really, isn't there? There is a very much you can pattern. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Yet the um, public, though, that remains to be seen, in this case, the German public, seeing the um, de-industrialization of their once great industrialized nation, um, you know, coming apart. I mean, they're not going to put up with that for too long. Uh, people's standard of living, you know, uh, below a certain threshold mm -hmm. angers people, right? So yep. that's that, that, that precious building too, it must be. It is. Interestingly, I mean, you, you've got the situation in Germany where the Greens, the Green German Green Party, is both pro-US and pro-war, which, which is interesting for a Green Party is, to yeah. be. Because, I mean, you, you just listen to the idiocy like this uh, German foreign minister, uh, Bayrock, and, I mean, the one who said, unless Russia changes its policy by 360 degrees, she will not talk to them. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> back to where they are already. Okay, if, if you're going to tell yeah, yeah. she meant 180. So you got that on one hand, but you've got a German public that are increasingly sceptical. I mean, you had one German tycoon <clears throat> who was on a live TV interview uh, at the time of the Nord Stream bombing. And he said the, the uh, Germany needs to separate itself from the U.S. immediately. The U.S. is a threat. And this is coming from a, a German industrialist. So, and quite a, a, a an important one. So you, you've got these completely different things. And, of course, as you note, I mean, the more it hits the pocket of the average German, 
the more unhappy they're going to be and the less inclined they will be to follow this self-destructive path of deindustrialization and working for the US benefit against German national interest. Because we, we've seen in history what happens in that country when people are desperate and poor. <laughs> yeah, it, it never ends too well. It never does. Okay, so Russia is in quite a strong position, it would seem. Um, mm, it's much stronger. Yep. And the sanctions that they obviously thought would snuff them out haven't. Their, mm -hmm. um, their war readiness, from what I've read, is has never been, well, better is probably not the word, but they're incredibly prepared. Production of weapon systems seems to be going 24-7. They have probably the uh, greatest uh, resource of of natural resources on the planet, so they can just mm. keep it up. They're not going to lose yeah. this. I wonder where they're going to end up in all of this. What do you think about that? My understanding, there's some parts of Ukraine they don't want to go into, <laughs> simply. I mean, the, these are the western parts where you have this epicenter of this really ugly uh, uh, base of ideological uh, Ukrainian fascism. These are the Nazis uh, that Putin it, talks basic, about. Yeah, they, they, they do exist in these parts because these are the former parts of the Austro-Hungarian Empire from the First World War. And they have an absolutely different mentality. They're more rural, they're much more radical and yeah so they won't want to go there and of course these are the ones that massacred the poles and so forth in volin in 1943 and so forth they i mean they hate everyone <laughs> so i mean the, the interesting thing with these guys they, they were actually fighting with the chechens separatists who are islamists in Chechnya against the Russians before, I mean, back uh, 20 years ago. So, I mean, these guys <laughs> are deeply ideological, deeply anti-Russian. But the point is the Russians will probably want to have uh, uh, not a clean victory, but one can say a dirty victory. That is to chop off enough of Ukraine to debilitate it enough that it will not pose a significant a military threats to the Russian Federation, which is what I will guess. But then, of course, you've always got these interesting countries, if we want to call them that way, like Poland and Lithuania, uh, who have set, who also have this deeply anti-Russian sentiment for historical reasons, and have said that they would go into <laughs> Western Ukraine if the Russians approached. Uh, so, I mean, it can go very two interesting directions uh, in yeah. this respect. But ultimately, whether the war goes on or whether it stops, uh, at this stage is more on the US hands. I mean, the Russians have indicated they're prepared to talk about an end to the war. I mean, Lavrov and others uh, have indicated this. And now we've had this signal from the US uh, in Vilnius that there is a timetable now. 
which is based on politics rather than the cost of war, if we want to put it this way. So, and the Europeans are the perfect vassals. They're absolutely quiet, just going along with it. Okay, so uh, our Prime Minister was there, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a picture of him shaking hands with Zelensky. So, um, and we've just kicked in another 4.2 million to whatever, whoever, in Ukraine. Yep. So, um, you're a New Zealander. Um, what's your view on our engagement in this, and what are the what are the risks for us? Yeah, uh, there are much many more risks than there are gains for sure. Uh, I mean, the US has been trying to expand NATO because NATO is one of those institutions that uses uh, as a means to ensure its hegemony, continued hegemony. And so if we look at what they've been trying to do, I mean, it's not a not an organisation of peace. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had the Kosovo War, you wouldn't have had uh, <laughs> Libya, you wouldn't have had these things. It's been launching uh, offensives and attacks. It, it's not a defensive organisation. And what they've been trying to do I mean, under Trump, they tried to expand it into the Middle East to get Saudi Arabia and others to join it in order to uh, contain and challenge Iran. And now they're trying to expand it into the Indo-Pacific. They're trying to they're trying to get cannon fodder, basically. Uh, if we use the popular term they use, they're trying to find enough useful idiots to throw. Uh, towards the guns of China, Iran, Russia. And, yeah, I mean, India, for example, has an interesting uh, reaction to that. They, they do what Indians do. They smile, they say, well, that's interesting, but no, uh, we want to pursue our own independent policy because they understand that if they get drawn into this, they will end up pretty much the same way as what Ukraine has been used against Russia, they would be used against China. Because if we look at the base problem for the US, it's, uh, I mean, its power is not land-based. It is naval and air power. I mean, it's a land power in its own continent, but elsewhere it needs other land powers in order to fight its wars for it. Like I just mentioned with Iraq against Iran, 1980 to 89, what you see with Ukraine currently, and there have been other different such episodes in the past. Greg, nice to talk to you again. Thanks for making a bit of time for us. Greg Simons, Kiwi Associate Professor at Tariba University in Latvia. It won't be the last time we chat because this is just getting hotter all the time. You can you can feel it. But thanks for uh, giving us your thoughts and, and bringing us up to date from that part of the world. We appreciate it. My pleasure. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.